Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Christy Prague. If you would like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. All right. A mother hug to you, Nathan. Morning. How are you all this morning? That was pathetic, but (laughs) sounds like you all have battling hemorrhoids at the moment. Did I say that out loud, by the way? I was thinking that. I didn't know if I said it out loud, but I did say it out loud. I sure did. Not only I did, I sure did. That's okay. That's, I don't mind. I taught junior high for seven years, so I can put up with anything. <clears throat> um, I know on Mother's Day we say Happy Mother's Day, but everybody says it when they come up, but I, I just have to do that. I, I uh, actually had a mother. Um, yeah. Surrounded by women. My wife's a mother. She's a woman. Um, I have three daughters. I have five grand, six grandchildren. Five out of the six are women, girls. Um, and uh, I love the, um, Nathan said, I, I, I love the feminine expression of God. The feminine expression of God is protection. I don't know if you know that. But it's like, like a mother he brought them under his wings. Like a mother, he, like a mother, each one, each expression of God as a mother is protection. I think that's pretty amazing. Matter of fact, the word hero comes from the Greek word protector. So moms, you're heroes. Um, <clears throat> we all have to go through the, the situation on Mother's Day. Some don't come to church on Mother's Day because we talk about mothers. Um, and it's hard. I have, I have a niece who's been married for just about a decade, and they've been trying to have kids since day one, and, and they haven't. And it's a hard thing for her. She's, she's a, uh, an elder. She and her husband are elders in the church, so they go. Um, but I, I just know my heart for her this morning uh, is, is very prayerful that, that God would meet her. Because um, <clears throat> we live in a real world, and why one person rejoices, somebody else is, is having a, a tough time. So Wherever you're at, God, I appreciated that song um, that Bethany sang, that, that he is there. He's going he's to meet you where you are. And that particular thing that is a struggle, that thing that you're rejoicing, um, don't be so filled with rejoicing that you miss the struggle person next to you. So um, that's what community is all about. And <clears throat> I was thinking, what, how did Mother's Day get started? And uh, there's a, a woman named Anna, Anna Jarvis who was the inspiration. She was <clears throat> got the inspiration of selling, uh, celebrating Mother's Day. This is back in the late 1800s, early nine, 1900s. Uh, <clears throat> and um, Anna's mother, Mrs. Jarvis, was having said a class prayer in the presence of her daughter. And this is what the prayer was. Her daughter wrote it down. I hope that someone, sometime, someday, 
will fund a memorial for mothers commemorating their matchless service that they render to humanity in every field of life because mothers are entitled to it. Ah, that's pretty good. Little daughter wrote it down. She's 12 years old at the time. She wrote it down. <clears throat> and she then, um, after her mom died some years later, she began to uh, uh, write letters to everybody and their brother about Mother's Day. And uh, in 1905, uh, uh, she, she began the process. In 1909, 45 of the states were celebrating Mother's Day. By 1914, President Woodrow Wilson uh, made an official announcement proclaiming Mother's Day as a national holiday uh, to be held each year on the second Sunday of May. And so that's where it started. Anna never became a mother, um, but she didn't stop celebrating. And then she became very angry at the end of her life and said that she wished she'd never done it because it became a holiday for uh, cards and flowers. And it became something that people were just using to make money as opposed to the idea of what she wanted, which was pure celebration. Um, <clears throat> uh, I don't know if, if you're out there, guys, flowers, as you may have noticed, are more expensive this year. There's only two guys that went after flowers anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> uh, Mother's Day trivia, the oldest mother besides Sarah in the Bible. I don't know if there's any older mother than Sarah in the Bible, but there's a woman in 2003, Syed Yamahama. I won't even try her last name. A 65-year-old retired school teacher in India, 65, became the oldest mother when she gave birth to a baby boy. She and her husband had been married 50, ki 50 years, 50 kids. <laughs> That's, that's coming up soon. She and her husband have been married 50 years. This was their first child. Can you imagine? Oh, I'm 66. I can't imagine having a kid right now. I, I, I think I would just die. Um, the longest interval for a mother between two children, the same mother, Elizabeth Ann Battle, which is amazing, her name. Um, she holds the record for the longest interval between two children. She gave birth to Belinda on May 19th, 1956. And then she gave birth to Joseph on November 20th, 1997. In case you're wondering, it's 41 years, 185 days. Is this interesting? Yeah. We're having fun? Okay. The highest number of children in modern times... These are ones that are documented. Um, <clears throat> Leotina Albina from Chile uh, documented 55 children. She says that she had 64, but only 55 are documented. It's only 55. the ultimate mother. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee. A virgin was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Her name was Mary. The angel said, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his sayings and considered what manner of greeting this was. 
And the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. And behold, the child that you will conceive in your womb, you will bring forth a son. You will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, <clears throat> we all read that and we all hear it. We've heard it a, a number of times. Um, we all don't, we don't really quite know her age. They have her anywhere from 12. Some places have her down as 12 years old. I don't think that's the case. Most places have her down at 13 or 14. Um, and then there are those that say, no, she was actually much older. She was really old, like 17. <laughs> Anybody here have a 17-year-old uh, daughter that that seems old? I, I don't know. But either way, she was young, and she's engaged. Engagement was much different then. Engagement, um, without going into the culture of the time, it's not like nowadays we have this beautiful young couple in the front. They were engaged for how long? Four months. Good. I like short engagements. <laughs> if you're thinking of one of those, yeah, we got engaged. When are you getting married? Oh, in two or three years. Reconsider that. I'm just saying. Uh, I don't know your situation, but you might want to pray about that. Um, <clears throat> But it, 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 was, it was different. It was a betrothal. There was actually properties handed back and forth. There were goods handed back and forth. There's promises made. This is a tough one to get out of. Nowadays, we, we can look at somebody and say, you know what? You can keep the ring. <laughs> God bless you. I'm done. And you walk away. It was much harder back then. So there's Joseph finding out that his teenage wife, who he's never made love with, is now... She's, she's pregnant, and, and, you know, well, the Holy Spirit came on me. Can you imagine that excuse now wouldn't work? <laughs> well, honey, there's a, a light came into my room, and I woke up pregnant. You know, it's like, I don't think so. Um, but the, the, the beauty of that moment is how she received it. And here's the, here's, you know, Nathan was praying for, for guys to get it. Um, my wife and I pray every night uh, uh, for our family, and we, we some things that are on our hearts. We just contend for our kids, for our grandkids, for friends, for for relatives that we have. Um, we're, we're going after it, and sometimes you really are praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, especially a spirit of revelation that light will come and take something that is dark or you can't figure it out, and suddenly a light will come on and you'll see it. Do you guys, pr do you pray those kind of prayers for people? Okay, I appreciate both of you that are just contending. Uh, <laughs> this is a quiet group this morning here, Nathan. Yeah. All right, everybody out. We're going to get a whole new group. No. <laughs> I actually went to a, I, I, I watched Johnny Carson live. I was in California, 1976, and he, he kept berating the, the crowd because they were quiet. And he said, uh, just to let you know, we can get a whole new crowd in here right now. And everyone got happy. And so <laughs> I remember that show because Charo was on. Does anybody remember Charo? Okay, if you got your hand up, you're over 40. You're probably over 50, okay? Um, Charo, that was, that was quite a show. Um, Again, what's a hero? Uh, the world's dying. Uh, talk, talking about the Greek word for heroes is, is, a, is a protector. And if, 
if we would look at the way that the women of the world have been there to protect us, our minds would be blown. Particularly moms. How many here, um, uh, I had this conversation with my mother. I was in my late teens. And she said to me, um, you know me as a mom. I said, yeah, well, yeah, pretty much my whole life. I know if I've known you as a mom. She goes, you've never known me as a person. I said, what do you mean I don't know you as a person? I know you, Mary Kay Dupre, I know, you, I know you as a person. She goes, no, 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 no. You know me as your mom. You don't know who I am as a human being. You don't know what makes me tick because you've never asked me the questions that are important that I want to answer. How would you like that one? Have you ever gotten to know your mom, your grandma? My grandma died at 99. I did not ask her a thousand questions and I wish I had. She was an actress in the 1920s. <clears throat> her husband died after five kids and the state came in to take all the kids and move them into five. She, she could pick one or two and the state was going to then move them into five different homes. And she fought against the state of New York and raised five children without a husband from 1924 19, on. Yeah. But I, I, I didn't ask her what it was like to be born in 1891 and see an airplane for the first time. I didn't ask her what it was like when she saw a car for the first time. I didn't ask her what her life was like during that time. She was my first hero. My grandmother took us in. We lived, my, my father, uh, you've heard the story, he came back from World War II. He was a very different man. He went in, Dr. Jekyll. He came out Mr. Hyde. And I didn't know the Dr. Jekyll, but I sure did know the Mr. Hyde. And he was irresponsible. He couldn't handle money. And we, we lived from place to place. By the time I was seven, eight years old, we lived in a dozen places. Not because I was an army brat, but because we kept getting kicked out of places for not paying rent. And so every time we got kicked out, we went back to live with my grandmother. And she just became my second mom, and she was just an amazing woman. But I didn't sit down with her. I, didn't, I saw her as my grandmother. I didn't see her as a person. And then my mother asked me that question when I was in my late teens. And I wasn't going to lose the opportunity then. And I asked her to tell me, talk to me. Tell me everything I need to know. That Tell me what you want to tell me, but you've been afraid to tell me. Tell me things that you've thought about me, but never wanted to say because you thought they would hurt me. How's that one? It's not too late. For many of you, it's not too late. <clears throat> Matter of fact, I was almost going to have you take your phone out and call your mom and tell her you love her. But raise your right hand. Okay, If your mom is alive and you can communicate to her today, raise your right hand. Say, I will, and then say your name. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> what did you say? I, th I thought one of you said Chalupa. Oh, it's Julia. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought you said, I will Chalupa. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I will say your name at the earliest opportunity. Call my mother. 
Tell her I love her. Tell her I appreciate her. Thank her. And then ask questions. Amen. You watch what happens. I know it's a little fun. I, I, some of you are going, well, let's go into the theology of the message. Well, if theology isn't, isn't attached to love, I don't know what theology you're talking about. If theology isn't attached to encouragement, I don't know what theology you want me to talk about. <clears throat> we're not given five mothers. We're given a mom. Now, sometimes, sometimes life comes along. Moms are there, and then they're not. My grandfather, <clears throat> his wife, my grandmother, a beam came down and hit her head. Uh, this is back when houses weren't what they are today, maybe. I don't know. A beam came down, hit her head. She went to the hospital. Two weeks later, she died. He was a traveling salesman, so he found a woman whose husband had died, didn't know her well, and married her so that my father would have a mom at home. He didn't have a mom at home. He had a woman in the house. She never liked her, those new kids that came into her house. And there are situations that are like that, that are real situations. And you say the word mom and something inside goes, Err. and you're going, I, I don't agree with you, Chris. I, I, I'm struggling with, the, with, with that whole aspect. And I just want to say this. <clears throat> You've had a mother person in your life. You've had other women that have been there, that have been there for you, that have protected you. You've had teachers that went out of their way to make sure that you, you heard something or they encouraged you. You've had people in the church here. I mean, there's some, some unbelievable moms here that, that I've met already that are incredible. Yeah. Who was that? Okay, one clap. <laughs> All right, if you're here this morning and you're a mom, well, if you're a grandma, you're a mom. <laughs> that just kind of goes to say. Or you're, you've been a, like a mother to others, or your heart beats with the heart to be a mother someday, and that is your heart's desire. I want you to stand up. The first person to stand was a gentleman over there. <laughs> He's taking the baby out, which is a good thing. All right, can we give it up for these moms? My mom was one of those, those heroes. She was, <clears throat> I wish I had, I, I should have given you pictures of her to put up there. She was just a beautiful lady. Um, got into a marriage that she was sorry. She came, she came back from her honeymoon and told her sister, I was not born yet, told her sister on, after her honeymoon, I made a mistake. Yow. I was glad not to be born then. I'm a miracle, by the way. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Some of you are going, oh, yeah, Why? I'm not going to tell you why, but it's, it's almost like the angel of the Lord came down to Mary. I was almost one of those kinds of births. Uh, the, the fact that I am alive, I, I should, they were separated, and as she said, I don't know what happened, but you were born. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I said, was I a mistake? She said, never, never, never. I love that. She raised us um, and, and separated from my dad in 1962 uh, after just abusive times and raised the three of us kids. And I think I've said this, but she raised us on $3,000 a year. That's what we had. $3,000 a year for three kids and a mom in a house. The house cost $9,000. And if you go back to my little town of Mary, New York, it is the smallest house in the township of Mary, New York. It is tiny. It's two tiny bedrooms downstairs, and then it has this long attic upstairs, which goes four feet up and then goes at an angle to five feet, four inches. And that bedroom was. And so at 6'1", my bedroom was topped at 5'4", so I would go upstairs like this. And then <laughs> that's where we lived. I never thought of myself as not having money because she always made life joyful. Isn't it amazing how women can do that? I, I don't know. Maybe your mom uh, did things that you, you just thought you were kind of rich. And my wife does the same thing. We, we've, we've never had, i just be honest with you. Is it okay if I be honest with you? Sorry. We've never had money. Matter of fact, my, my mother-in-law, or my stepmom, excuse me, um, my parents got divorced. My dad remarried. And I, she, I walked in one day, and we were thinking about looking at a house. And she said, oh, I don't think you should get that. And she looked at me, and she goes, you do know you're never really going to have much money. I was a pastor at the time. I said, gosh, thanks so much, stepmom. <laughs> and I take that curse and I reject it in Jesus' name. <laughs> um, but we didn't. And, and so when she raised us on that, on that I, I had hand-me-downs. Ben, where are you going? <laughs> I love that man. You all need to know Ben. He's amazing, as is his wife. Okay, you can go now. Um, we'll see you on the way back in. I know you'll get me back when you're on the mic sometime. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. No. Uh, he's Randy Clark's personal man about town. I love that guy. He's one of my favorites. Um, I have no clue where I was. I just went out of Ben. Can, what? What? No money. No, no money. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a long story. But, um, but she, she made things. She, what was that? She made things happen. I, my mom, she would, I knew she, she had a job. She got a job that brought in about $100 a week, uh, no, $100 every two weeks. And that's what we started with, $100 every two weeks. And we got a little bit from my dad, and it all added up to $3,000. I, I looked years later, I go, how did we do that? Oh, we had a $9,000 home, this little tiny home. And I went back recently, last time I was in upstate New York, I drove back out to Marion, about an hour away from Rochester. And I looked at the house, and I look, and I go, I grew up in that? Has anybody ever looked at your old house? It's so weird. I, I thought, how did I, how did I grow up in that? I'm bigger than the house. <laughs> the older I get, the bigger I am. The smaller the house. <clears throat> and I realized 
I said, Mom, with the amount of money you had at that time, how did you pay for a house? She goes, I used to work for the lawyer in town. The lawyer. We were a small town. There was a lawyer, Mr. Purchase. And he, he gave me a 30-year mortgage on a $9,000 home. I think it comes out to 17 cents a month for a, no, I don't. <laughs> but think about that. Right now, our homes, uh, what did you buy? I bought a $300,000 home. I bought a $600,000. It's $1.2 It's a 30-year loan. Mine's a $9,000 home on a 30-year loan. Okay, do the math. <clears throat> My mom had weaknesses. She was a lovely lady, but she was a hypochondriac. She would get sick. She had tons of pills. At the same time, you've got this unbelievable hero, and you've got someone you see as weak. And yet they're doing things that are protecting you, but they're imperfect. Let me tell you something. I just want to encourage you. Your mother is not perfect. I know, some of you, that's a revelation that when you're four years old, your dad's the strongest man in the world. He can beat up anybody. And then when you get a little bit older, you realize, wow. And then when that moment happens, when that moment happens when you see a parent and you see the weakness that's in their life, that's a hard moment. But the, the, the commandment with the promise is to honor. Honor your father and honor your mother. That's the first one with the promise. Let me tell you something. What turned my father's life and me around was when the Lord said, I said, Lord, how do I honor someone who has just been horrible to me? Or how do I love someone who's been horrible to me? And he said, you love him by honoring him. Honor is incredible. There are mothers in here right now that have not been honored properly by their kids and their husbands. Yeah. Can I step on something? There are men in here that take for granted the things that the women do around the house in terms of the cleanliness of their home, in terms of being there and being available, of saying yes when they don't want to say yes, of having food on the table. Now, this is not a berating men thing. That's really easy to do from up here. It's, I'll just tell you right now. In society, it's really, especially nowadays, nowadays it's anti-male. I'm just telling you. It is. And I hate it because I'm a male and I don't want to be anti <laughs> Seinfeld, when, you, when there was a dentist you didn't like, you, you were an anti-dentite. Do you remember that? <laughs> okay. Don't ever watch Seinfeld. No, it's terrible. I've seen them all. Um, <clears throat> but I, I don't want to be anti-mailed. I can't help that I'm male. But you know what? I like it. This gives me, I'll tell you what, you know what I love about being a man? I get the privilege daily of telling my wife how beautiful she is and how much I love her and what she means to me. Daily. Do I do it daily? No. <laughs> but almost. I always get one of those in there. Always. They need to hear. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, she's clapping. Their dentist is in the back. <laughs> Here's the thing. We, we, women sometimes marry men. 
I've married so many people over the years. And I, I've, I've sat down, we've had some counseling beforehand, and I, I remember talking to one, one gal with, her, with the guy there, with her fiancé right there. He says, yeah, I'm looking forward to the things I can do to help change him. <laughs> really? Good luck with that one. Women married men who really don't change. They don't even change their haircut, or the way that they comb their hair. It just gets less. Then sometimes they had the dreaded comb over. And then, then men marry women, and they don't want them to ever change. I want you to stay just like you are. You're young and vivacious. Your hair is long, and it's silky smooth. And then after about three or four kids, I'm not, I'm, trust me, I'm, I'm not doing a stand-up thing here, okay? I, I, well, I, I live in a real world, okay? I know men that are upset that their wives change. They add weight, their hair changes. They want to cut their hair. No, you can't cut your hair. What, is she like female Samson? Is she going to lose her strength? Will she no longer be able to cook? What won't she do for you that she's doing now? I want my wife to change because I want her to grow. I want her, I want her to, to get her voice. I want her to, to, to be so secure in who she is that she can, she can write what she wants and says what she wants. She always does it in love, but I don't want her to, to hide behind maybe some things that she had in her home where you know she was the, the third or fourth of four kids. She had an Italian dad who, who um, really never gave her a voice. Never her, her, her opinion didn't matter in the home. And when I saw that and I was getting married, one of the things that was on my heart is I want this woman to have a voice because when she has a voice, I will get who she really is. And then we come along and we read Proverbs 31. Who can find a capable wife? That's quite a sentence to start out. She's far more precious than jewels. Her husband trusts her. She doesn't lack anything good. She rewards him with good, not evil. All the days of her life, I underlined all. Uh, she selects wool and flax and works with willing hands. She goes to the merchant ships, bringing her food from far away. She rises while it's still night and provides food for her household. She makes her own bed coverings. Her husband's known in the city gates. He sits, sits among the elders while she makes and sells linen garments and delivers belts to the merchants, etc., etc. Uh, ladies, any anybody ever have you ever read that and come away going, "Well, dang, <laughs> that ain't me." <laughs> I mean, if it was, it, it, it's not even close to me. Even the things that you know, her husband sits at the gates and he's you know like. I don't know what that means. I, I kind of do, because I know the culture, but okay, that's, that means 10 minutes. 
Let me tell you, I want to read some scripture that, that's going to really bless your socks. Are you ready? <clears throat> Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. How are we doing? Good. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Abinadad. Abinadad fathered Nashom. Nashom fathered Salman. Salman fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. We now close with the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Didn't that just bless your socks? <laughs> um, when, when, we think, when I read that, you know, it's in, it's in the first part of Matthew. And, and so um, it, it kind of starts Matthew out. And it describes, you know, with Proverbs 31, it's describing the ideal woman of 2,500 years ago. Okay? Things have changed. A lot of religious people don't want anything to change. They want their wife to be what the wife was supposed to be 2,500 years ago. Okay? Scripture, now hear, hear, hear me here. Scripture doesn't change because of culture. Okay? Culture's influenced by the word of God. But the more we know and grow, we know that God meets the world where it is. And the world of 25 years ago is not the world of today. Therefore, I'm not making my wife get up in the dark to go down to the, to the sailors to sell flax and oil. Are you with me? Okay, thank you. I can go into a lot more... But then you, you, you read that, and then I just read this first part of Matthew, and I thought, well, why did he read the first part of Matthew? Well, I, I want to go over, there's, there's four women in those first six verses that are just incredible. <clears throat> Tamar, okay, when you read about it, Tamar, all right? Jacob had Judah, and Judah had a couple of sons, all right? Tamar is the daughter-in-law uh, <clears throat> of Judah. Tamar was married to Jacob's first son. His name was Ur, E-R. Ur. Imagine looking a little bit, let's call him Ur. I used to be a pirate. We would call him Ur. <laughs> Sorry. Ur died without Tamar having had a child. Well, if you knew the culture of the day, this is where you got to be happy that the culture's different. Because she automatically then gets married to the next brother in line. I never mind. So Tamar, without having a, Tamar is then given to Judah's second son, Onan, in order to carry out the custom of the day, which is to father a child. Onan dies. Judah is now concerned that his third son might die. So Judah does not give Tamar his third son. So without a child, she is desperate. What does she do? She does the unthinkable. She dresses up like a prostitute, propositions her father-in-law. He takes up the offer, and she becomes pregnant and has a son. That son and that mother are in the lineage of Jesus. What good could come of that? 
Jesus. Okay? The second woman is Rahab. Most of you know about Rahab. We find her in the Joshua 2. It's the house at the spice. They scouted out and they, they went and they, they found refuge in her house. Uh, she is described... Uh, now, Tamar was a one-night prostitute. Rahab is an everyday prostitute. All right? And the word there that describes her prostitute, it's, it's lives as... It's kind of this, the fullness as. This is, this is who she is. This is what she does. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, Matthew was a tax collector. She's a prostitute. That's just how Scripture defines her. And we go on, well, I wonder if, she, you know, she, was, she lived alone. She was young. No, she, she has children. She's got a number of children. And there she is in Jericho, uh, hiding a couple of spies and... <clears throat> uh, she ends up giving, uh, she, well, she ends up being saved in the process. The city falls, she is saved, and she ends up uh, having Boaz as a son who marries Ruth. That's the lineage of Jesus. So what good could come from a full-time prostitute? Faith. You can find her in chapter 11 of Hebrews. The chapter of faith has Rahab by faith saved the spies. Wow. Well, my life has been screwed up. Well, God bless you. Join the world. Some of the most screwed up people in history brought forth through their lineage the Savior of the world. Ruth, most of you are familiar. Ruth is the third one in this story. Um, it's like, wow, well, Ruth was okay. She was good. Yeah, she was, but she was a Moabite. Some of you go, well, so? Moabite is not just the bad person on the other side of the tracks. A, a, a Moabite was the lowest of the low. Matter of fact, I, I heard a preacher back in the 1970s. Uh, I was at this outdoor tent revival meeting, and he talked about Ruth. And I, I, was, I was struck because he said, he had a British accent. He goes, Moabite, the low of the low. The Moabite. The one that no one wants. Ruth was a Moabite. And he just kept saying Moabite. <laughs> but it stuck with me. Because I, I can see people through that time to now who are present day Moabites. And, and we used to make jokes about certain kinds of ethnicity or certain kinds of hair color. That for a while, somebody lives as a Moabite. They live as the low of the low. A lot of people feel, you know, when they're around someone who's, who's had a, a great upbringing, they, have, they they're, had a divided family. I was the only one in my class whose parents weren't together. I felt like a Moabite. I, I wasn't a big class of 70, 75 people in my class. But they all had a father and a mother. Now, some of the fathers and some of the mothers were just strange and stupid. No, seriously. So, some of the fathers were drunks. Uh, some of the mothers ran around where their husbands were drunk, and they ran around with other men. That, that's just a small town. That's what happened. But they, they had the mother and father there. I didn't. And I was very visible, and I was one of the ones that only went home to a, only a mother in the home. <clears throat> I remember a friend of mine, she, her, her mother almost 
separated from her father, and I was hoping they'd split so I wouldn't be the only one. And then my mother said, don't, don't do that. You don't want that for them. They need their dad. We just, I was a Moabite for a while in my little town. Actually, when we moved back to the town without my father, my father had been a teacher in the high school. He was the most beloved teacher in the high school. We moved back to the small town without my dad, and I was shunned by teachers. My mother was shunned. She was shunned for years because she split with my father. So maybe Ruth was great, but she was a Moabite. Sometimes we grow up feeling like a Moabite. And the last one on there, it doesn't say her name. It just says Uriah's wife. Well, we know who that is. That's Bathsheba. We know the story. As David sees this beautiful woman bathing, finds out it's Uriah's wife. Uriah is someone that David knew. He's out in the battlefield, and David gives orders to put Uriah on the front of the battle line so that he'll be killed because David had gone after this woman, had laid with this woman, and now she's pregnant. He's got to cover his tracks and cover his sin. This is all Bible. It sounds to me like the small town I grew up in. It sounds to me like the life that we have. We hear things now and then about certain people. And we go, I can't believe they do that. They're humans. You live long enough, you see just about everything you'd think you'd never want to see. Uriah dies. David takes Bathsheba as his wife. And she becomes the mother of Solomon. Wow. I don't know what your life has been. I know this much. I love Proverbs 31 when it describes a wife. But what it really is describing, all of, I, I don't mean to demean this word, all of the verbiage from, from Proverbs 31, everything that it says about a woman are attributes about the woman's heart. It's not her activity, it's her heart. It's a mother's heart. You, you're looking for a woman who has a heart after her family, who has a heart after this, who understands this, who respects her husband, who this, this or that. It's not to put this false mirror up to say, uh, do you compare with this? And if you don't, you're lesser than. It gives us something to live towards. I like goals. I'm a goal-oriented person. If I don't have a goal, I can move around and shift from place to place. Proverbs 31 is a goal. It's not just a goal for women. It's a goal for men to become all that God wants you to be. I want to take a moment. <clears throat> I don't care if the woman next to you is a mom or not a mom, but I want to take a moment. I want you to, to put a hand out towards the lady next to you. And you might say, well, this, this person next to me is only 12 years old, 14 years old. Well, can I tell you something? My, my little nine-year-old granddaughter has a mother's heart. And she mothers her younger one. My 11-year-old granddaughter has a two-year-old sister. And she's like a second mom. I tell you, the heart of a mother can be infused into anyone's heart at any age. Take a second. Reach your hand out to somebody around you. And if you're a lady next to a lady, God bless you. Reach your hand out to those around you. Touch their shoulder. Touch their arm. Make a connection. 
Father, I just thank you. I thank you for each one here. I thank you for every mother, every mother's heart, no matter their journey. Some are here, they've had families, and it's been wonderful. Some are here, that it's been, a, it's been a chore to get through life. Lord, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of every family and every situation that's gone on, but I do know this. You took four ladies, put them in the first chapter, and said, this is the genealogy of the Lord and Savior, Jesus. That means you can take any situation in our lives, what's going on in our life, what's going on with our kids, you can infuse the Messiah into our genealogy. You can infuse the life of Jesus in our lives and through the lives of our children. They are not beyond you. We are not beyond you. For those that are crying out for children, I pray you open up wombs. Today, you'd begin to open up wombs and there would be testimonies of children that come forth that were not planned because they thought they couldn't. I pray for relationships to be restored between mothers and children, between mothers and their mothers. I pray that, that there would be questions that take place between the generations so that we can understand each other and grow in love together in even more stronger ways. So Lord, on a Mother's Day, we stop. And we say, like a mother, like a mother, you covered us. We say, like a mother, you protect us. We say, like a mother, you lead us. I keep seeing that in your word over and over again, like a mother. And so Lord, we pray for that mother spirit to arise in the hearts of each of these ladies. And that we as men would take our role and take the responsibility of encouraging and nurturing so that they have a full voice, so that the fullness of who they are called to be and what they're called to do will have liberty to come out in our households and in our lives together. And Lord, for those, I'm just even thinking now, that may have lost a mom even recently, that they would know, even in dreams, how proud their mother was of them. Let us take advantage of the time we have to say those things that need to be said. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org. 